is up and welcome in. It's another edition of 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. My name is Jeremy Rushing here with episode 97. And beside me, as always, he hasn't been here for all 97 episodes, but probably the last, what, 30, 35 or so. Uh, Mr. Dominic Jose Bazonio. Dom, how you doing? I'm doing great. And yeah, I think it's something like that. Uh, feels feels like a, a long, enjoyable journey so far, and hopefully, hopefully, many more to come. Uh, but yeah, having having a all right time doing the the soccer Twitter stuff, and uh, looking forward to talking about Minnesota soccer today. Yeah, absolutely, a lot to get to as always. But first, of course, before we shout them out individually, want to give a shout out to all of our partners and sponsors at SodaSoccer.com and Ten Thousand Pitches, Pence Homes. 9th Street Soccer and Coffee and Stimulus Athletic, uh, big supporters of what we're doing at SodaSoccer.com. So we hope you support them as well. Local businesses doing great things uh, for the local communities in general, but also the local soccer communities as well. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. It lets you know when we drop a new episode of 10,000 Pitches. Also lets you know when we drop a new episode of Post Loons. Just had one last night following the entertaining 3-2 to win over LA Galaxy on the road. Um, and then also let's know when we drop a new interview. We do, uh, you know, uh, interviews aside from the regular podcast every now and then, and we throw those on the podcast feed. So make sure you subscribe so you're in tune with all of that. Also leave us a rating and review, if you could, on your preferred podcast platform as well. And follow us on Twitter at SodaSoc. Of course, that's a, an abbreviated version of Soda Soccer. SodaSoccer.com, your new home for soccer coverage in the North. Great articles up on the website. If you just want to look at sort of the breadth of soccer coverage that we uh, sort of cover at sodasoccer.com, just go to our front page and look at the last like five or six articles. It's Minnesota Aurora. It's NPSL, UPSL, Minneapolis City, Minnesota United. It is all there at sodasoccer.com. So make sure you go check us out if you could. And please consider subscribing to our Patreon as well. We can't do this without your support. Patreon.com slash sodasoccer. Dom, as I mentioned, it's a uh, packed slate to get to two Minnesota United matches to break down before we even get to lower league news. So let's jump right in it. We get the bad and the good, or the bad and the less bad, if you want to look at it that way. Um, the bad started over the weekend, uh, Saturday night. Minnesota United lose a 1-0 lead late, giving up two goals in the 87th and 90th minutes, respectively, to Indiana Vasilev. Um, and he single-handedly wins it for Inter-Miami. Two to one. Uh, Loons go up early on a goal from Luis Amaria, which was great to see. Optimistic. Again, it was a ball that just sort of fell to his foot. You know, nothing, um, you know, individually impressive in terms of him getting to the goal scoring opportunity, but took advantage of his chance, got back on the board, his third goal of the year. But Minnesota United outside of that had multiple chances, obviously weren't able to take advantage. That's kind of a, um, a reoccurring theme that we have discussed on this podcast. And then they just couldn't seem to get it right in the second half with how they wanted to play with that one nil lead. Um, they were packing it in at times and absorbing a lot of pressure, but it wasn't necessarily the decision to pack it in that led to at least the first goal, Dom. It was just a very ill-timed counterattack and a turnover that leaves Minnesota very much exposed along the back that leads to that initial goal. Um, just your overall thoughts and impressions on the match. Yeah, you know, obviously, particularly with the timing of, of Miami's goals in mind, this is a, a, a loss that I think stunned for, for all, all parties involved on the, on the Minnesota half. Um, 
it uh, was almost a more extreme version of what Ron in the New England game, which which the timing of that was sort of uh, uh, poetic, if you will, yeah. um, in that it, it was almost like every complaint from the previous match was just times twoed for for yeah. the night. Um, yeah, it, it, it's tough to see a team show the lack of of sort of maturity and awareness to let in two goals in about 10 minutes uh, to, to lose against a Miami team that is not particularly great. Uh, not necessarily, you know, e- even for the, the poor form Minnesota was in, Miami weren't even necessarily expected to do great uh, in this game. Most people were putting it as sort of a, a 50-50. So uh, r- rough to see uh, those chances get allowed uh, and then the defense not to step up and, and snuff them out uh, when you really have such a little time left. You have a defense that's full of veteran players that you would hope would have the, the state of mind to be ready for that kind of situation. As you noted, you know, that first goal sort of comes from a, a, a sloppy counterattack that's given away kind of cheaply and, and then the team simply doesn't recover in time for it. Um, I think generally... This result, as much as the New England result, just reflected that the way this team has been playing, particularly when they get a first half goal or have a, a, a lead at halftime, um, isn't doesn't work well with the actual players. They don't seem to actually be particularly good at playing that style uh, in that when they sit back, they give away goals. When they go off the counter, they give away goals. Um, and I think it just extended the questions people have about the way this team plays and whether or not it matches the personnel. Uh, unfortunately, as we'll get to, I don't think the game that came after really contributed to that conversation at all because of how wild of a game it was. Yeah. Um, and I think those questions are still kind of all in the air. Uh, you know, I, I thought the, the usual pieces that perform relatively well performed relatively well, although obviously the attack was underwhelming. Uh, aside from that moment from Maria, I, I recall you saying something along the lines of, uh, in Postland, something on the lines of, you know, Amaria's goal being the only really memorable moment you could think of from the attack that night. Yep. Um, I agree with that. Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it was just one of those, another one of those nights where it just felt like all areas of the team took turns collapsing a little bit. Uh, and uh, that combined with the, the tactical approach, it just didn't translate into anything good. Uh, and, and yeah, so three points dropped that could have been incredibly useful. I'm trying, I've been trying to look at this season compared to say 2019, 2020, those mm. two really, really successful Minnesota United seasons where the loons really came onto the scene in 2019 um, and solidified themselves as a playoff team, um, had a really good run. And then 2020 as well, obviously getting, um, making that run all the way to the Western conference final, um, impressive run to end the regular season as well. I was trying to find out this team has always had goal scoring issues, right? That's sort of been a recurring theme in the post Christian Ramirez era. This team has simply um, been unable to consistently find the back of the net. So why were those teams able to be successful, but this team has faltered. And I think it's, there is a lack of consistency and quality now along the back for this team that they haven't really been, used to in years right. past um we've talked about you know the struggles that box on the bossy have had at least lately on, uh, in the center back position um but i think this comes down to 
also defensive midfield play too. Those yeah. years, 2019 and 2020, Ozzy Alonso was arguably, not even arguably, inarguably, the most important player on this roster at that number six position. And the way Adrian Heath plays in a 4-2-3-1, you need to be able to lead from the back. You need to be able to have quality along your back line and in your defensive midfield if you are going to win matches. This is a match, this 2-1 loss to Miami, that I think Minnesota United wins in 2019 and 2020 because I think they're better able to see the match out. You know, I think that it's it's a 1-0 win. And maybe it gets nervy, but I think they end up seeing it through and seeing it out because they have more consistency and quality along the back, right? When you right. have when you had Ozzy Alonso in 2020, when you had Eichel Parra, or in 2019, when you had Ozzy Alonso and Eichel Parra, you know, when you have these guys who are just able to consistently contribute and be those, those brick walls and guys you can count on along the back to keep teams off the score sheet, that is the thing to me that Minnesota United is lacking this year in relation to other years. And now we'll talk about this on 10K stoppage time with the open DP slot and kind of what to expect in this transfer window. Those are the positions of need where they need to replenish those with young, quality, reliable pieces. They do not have that right now. Will Trapp has been relative to expectation coming in very underwhelming at the number eight for Minnesota United. We saw it again last night against LA. We'll get to the LA match in a bit, but a a card and a penalty conceded against LA. That's not uncommon for what we've seen from Will Trapp, um, at least this season specifically. Kervin Arriaga has been great at the six, but that defensive midfield pairing can be very much improved. I think Arriaga is a piece to that puzzle, but it's where where is he playing, the six or the eight, and who is playing next to him? You have to solidify that. If you're Minnesota, you have to get younger along the back line. We're seeing those two issues, I think, rear their heads big time in these matches, especially when you're talking about these second half collapses. You can chalk it up to tactics there. I'm sure there is a tactical element to it as well. But personnel wise, I think there's a bit of a um, it sort of feels like a house of cards that's crumbling right now when you're talking about that defensive third for Minnesota. No, absolutely. I and, and like you're saying, I think that there were, you know, maybe choices or, or issues, et cetera, that were easier to miss when this team was benefiting from the peak years, like you said, of an Opara and Alonzo, a Metaner for that matter, which we don't have yep. right now. Absolutely. Um, you know, even Hassani Dotson being healthy and around, you know, yep. you, you, you just had uh, Jan Gregus didn't necessarily defend much, but he was also part of that puzzle. You know, either you had. Mm-hmm those pieces were clearly making more out of the situation than what is there now. Um, Cause I don't necessarily think the team is playing dramatically different, but, but clearly that style is not matching with what's there right now. Um, and yeah, like you said, I, I, I would, Will Trapp has been, I think a disappointing signing for a lot of people. I don't necessarily think that he pairs particularly well with uh with Ariaga in the sense that when they play together the team just doesn't seem to quite meld uh they don't seem to quite meld I think that probably the team should be looking for someone to pair with Ariaga I think that's the guy you invest in I know on paper that trap is the the franchise piece but um I don't think that's the way that should go though um and yeah I mean there, there was, there's enough experience, MLS experience, Minnesota United experience in that back line 
that they should know how to get through games, and they're simply not doing it. Uh, we even saw, you know, in the Nets game, them barely manage it, uh, a man up. So it's uh, it's concerning. And, and you know, you, you've brought this up, I think, once or tw- twice different episodes, that if this team adds pieces, particularly if it's a designated player, that that attention should probably not really be going up front. At the end of the day, we have a lot of attacking players. We're going to get the goals we get out of them. Adding one more to that list probably isn't really the long-term play. The long-term play is to get more pieces that are going to be useful in the defensive half, uh, where we have a group that is either not performing well or older and not going to be around that much longer or able to start that much longer. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they how they handle that. Uh, and, and maybe we'll move on to the next game now, but I don't think the next game got rid of any of those concerns. No, it didn't. And it was just sort of a wild card in, in and of itself, right? You get you go up early, beautiful goal from Reynoso, um, just a 30-yard curler, left-footed curler that goes in the top corner, take a bow um, to put yourself up. And then you get the red card. Um, and whether or not you agree it was a red card, personally, I don't even think it was worth a card at all, let alone a red. Uh, but at the same time, that sort of gives you this, this opportunity to really – um, take advantage and get three points at, on the road. That's what Minnesota United did, albeit it got a little nervy at the end. But because of that chaos, because you're up a man, because you know you, you score those three goals in the first half and all of a sudden the whole trajectory of the match changes, um, it, it's hard to learn much from that. If anything, we learned that, I mean, something that we've always known is Manuel Reynoso is very, very good and can individually carry this team on his day. Um, and we, we saw that before the man advantage, but after the man advantage, uh, we saw an LA team that was just really, um, ineffectively trying to push for an equalizer. Minnesota was just getting acres of space and counterattacks, taking those opportunities in the first half, not so much in the second, but they do eke out that three to two win conceding those two goals in the second half. Um, I don't, again, I don't know how much we can learn or how much we want to devote to this particular match. Obviously those two conceding goals in the second half, um, you know, make you a little bit uh, worried or sort of add to that anxiety that you feel about the season. But at the end of the day, it's three much needed points on the road in a place where you've never won before um, against a team that's sort of sitting in the, in the top half of the Western conference right now. So all, all in all with the result, you got to feel good. Maybe the performance it's hard to really take anything from. Right. I think it's the kind of game you have to find that, that happy medium of the positives and negatives you can take from it. Um, you know, on the one hand, this team really needed to get a couple points out of this uh, road stint that they're on. And mm-hmm. this is how they managed to do that. And sometimes teams just have to figure a way out and it's not, you know, uh, a simple clean solution. So in that sense, like you said, three points the team really needed. Um, they should be happy about that. They should be happy about the goals they scored. And, you know, at the end of the day, they had, they, they, they won the game. So, you know, that's what they deserved. Um, in the long term, you know, Nets game at home against RSL, who've been on a pretty good streak. They have a lot of talent right now. They've made some, some signings already that are impacting the team uh, in a positive way. Defensively, I'm not, uh, particularly excited about what that's going to look like for Minnesota United. Uh, defensively, they just continue to look 
concerning. Uh, doesn't help that for this next upcoming game, you have potentially two of your uh, midfield defensive midfield options unavailable with uh, uh, Rosales uh, being carded uh, and and uh, Ariaga potentially being injured. Although apparently the injury might be less severe than we thought, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, that's not very good timing for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it, it's that complicated thing. I think it's totally okay to celebrate that win from Minnesota United as an important result and to be happy that it happened, regardless of the asterisks about the various things that happened during the game. I also think it's, you know, in the same way that, that, that folks, you know, try to calm down the fan base when there's a, one bad game and say, hey, one loss doesn't define anything. One win doesn't define anything either. Um, And that win doesn't define anything. It's three points, and that's great. And uh, the team could very well, you know, lose the net several games. So it's uh, up to the teams, up to Adrian Heath and the players to sort of figure out what what can we take away from that game that's going to be productive, it's going to be useful. Um, What lessons did we learn negatively in that second half where, you know, again, defensively just really poor? Um, We'll have to see what they make of those of that information and those tools. Hopefully, they make something good because their next game's probably going to be more. It's at least a more challenging opponent than the last several games they played, most of which went badly. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it, it it's a it's three good points, um, but it leaves very it leaves very little for us to learn. My hope is that it leaves a lot more for them to learn because they're the ones yeah. that really need to learn. Uh, and so we'll just have to see, you know, uh, I, well, this weekend, I guess, uh, whether or not they uh, paid attention in class. All right. You can call this our 10K coffee break because it's time to tell you about our friends over at Night Street Soccer and Coffee. Derek and his team at Night Street have been so great to us. And we hope you can support them the way they've done for us over this past year. Night Street is part indoor soccer facility, part coffee shop. You heard me right. You can get a pickup game in and get your espresso fix all in the same place. How cool is that? I have to say, I was lucky enough to sample some of the coffee you can get at 9th Street. My goodness, it's some great stuff. Derek is one hell of a barista. I'll just say that. Affordable weekly pickup is always available at 9th Street. You can reserve the field for your team, party, or group outing. And they always have something cool going on at 9th Street, including Minnesota United watch parties happening periodically for road games throughout the season. So make sure you check them out on IG and Twitter at 9th Street MPLS. That's 9th and Street, both spelled out. N-I-N-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T. MPLS on IG and Twitter. Look them up on Facebook and Google or visit their website, NinthStreetMPLS.com, just like the uh, social handles, N I N T H S T R E E T MPLS.com, to sign up for pickup, reserve field time, or just learn all about our good friends over at Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee. 801 South Ninth Street, Minneapolis, or online at NinthStreetMPLS.com. Yeah, RSL has a couple things going for them coming into this one. Uh, they're 4 1 and 1 in their last six matches. That only loss coming to Vancouver when they went down to 10 men. Um, and then they also didn't play midweek either. So um, arguably, maybe a little bit more well rested um, coming into this uh, match against Minnesota. So 
Um, but it, you are back at home. You are back at Allianz Field in front of the Wonder Wall. It is July 4th weekend, probably a, a really good crowd. I think, you know, as we're recording here, the weather's supposed to be pretty nice this weekend. So um, they'll probably, they'll have all the ingredients they need outside of the pitch to, um, you know, put together a good performance and maybe get a big home win. We talk about, you know, the loons needing statement victories. Um, this would, this would be a good one, um, you know, to, to kind of put a stamp on, you know, uh, potential resurgence back into the playoff picture. So um, again, that's Sunday. July 3rd, 7 p.m. kick, um, and you can catch Post Loons following that one as well. All right, Dom, we will get into more Minnesota United news on 10K stoppage time, going in-depth into the Adrian Anu move back to Angers SCO in League One, and the implications of that for Minnesota United frees up a, a designated player spot um, and the transfer window, if you're listening on Friday, start opens today. Um, at least as far as the European transfer window. So um, there could be a move made in the next 30 days. Um, as much as you know, we were talking last week, Dom, and I said that you know Minnesota United should wait until the right time, um, I think getting this deal done ahead of the summer transfer window um, or at the beginning of the summer transfer window, as I guess it can't really be finalized until today, um, you know, that could mean that they're really looking to make a move in this window to bring in another DP. So um, we'll see what happens there, but more news and in-depth conversation on that on 10K Stoppage Time, which you can catch exclusively over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Soccer. Now to the lower leagues, where we will start in USL League 2 uh, another week and two more losses on the USL 2 side for Minneapolis City. They uh, get blanked by Peoria City at home 2-0, and then a hard-fought loss 2-1 to Manitoba, on the uh, on the 29th, so on on Wednesday, uh, as we're recording here, um, it was Zach Susi scoring early and extended 10 minute stoppage time against Manitoba to cut into that deficit. But the Crows ultimately fell short after conceding two first half goals. Um, they're still looking for that first win. They're still looking for that first home point in USL League Two play. Um, they have two more chances remaining this season to do so, um, and their next match back at home um, at Adrian Nelson Field against Thunder Bay on July 6th. Um, you know, things we'll get into in a minute. We'll get to it in a minute that things are going well, sort of further down that, um, I guess that, that, that pyramid, what I don't even know what else to call it uh, for Minneapolis city, but the struggles and the growing pains continue on the USL league two side. Yeah. You know, unfortunately um, it's just not quite uh, working. Um, you yeah. know, I, 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 Watched a lot of as the season progressed, I had more time to watch a lot more of these games, uh, the USO League Two games, and um, yeah, it's it's tough to say. You know, I don't think that Minneapolis City are making any sort of huge mistakes in these games. I don't think that, although in that Manitoba match, there were two first half substitutions by City, so clearly um, some adjustments mm-hmm. were decided um, early on, but. Um, it's it's hard to say quite why they they're, they're in this position where they haven't won a game. These two games are relatively close. Um, you know that second half, City are the only team to score, and they keep it relatively close against uh, against Manitoba. But it's just not quite translating into uh, results. I think that at the end of this season, well, first of all, obviously we'll see what happens with the uh, the rest of their games, and maybe they win those uh, or at least one of them. 
I, I think this off season, there's going to be a lot of work to do in terms of how to avoid this happening again. I think that this sort of season, while I don't think anybody quite expected it to go quite this way, I think that everyone understood there was a risk of the season being really tough. Yeah. And, and, and so that, you know, allows for a more mature reaction to the season going poorly. Um, that being said, I, I do think though, that especially considering sort of the expectations that surround the organization of Minneapolis city, um, this off season is going to be a really important period for them to figure out why this happened and how to stop it from happening again. Cause if this is the kind of form that they're going to have next season, that that's going to be a problem, I think. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, once more of these leads are the million different leads that we are covering are, are done, there'll probably be a better time to talk about that at a larger scale on here or an article or something. But, um, yeah, I, I do think there's probably decisions that are going to have to be made, maybe some big decisions just about how to better be prepared for this multi-front strategy, have players available um, and at their best for these matches that matter. Um because you know, it just it, unfortunately, it just hasn't really translated uh, into uh, a positive season on on either this front or particularly the MPSL front. Yeah. Uh, and and that's more or less a similar group of players who who essentially, if you combine those two runs of form, are not having a, a very good year. Um, with of course the the uh, uh, UPSL team being a somewhat different group, although there have been some players that move between. Uh, but a largely different group based more on that that futures um, system. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting this offseason to see if if maybe some some decisions are made to better prepare for for 2023. Uh, tough tough losses here. You would hope that in these next two games that they they find a win, if for nothing else than to end the year on a good note in front of the fans, who of course have been paying to come watch these games. And um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I, I think that this is an important reminder to, as USO League 2 becomes more present in this part of the country, I think this is an important reminder to people about uh, the level that the league is at, particularly in this area, um, mm -hmm. which for what it's worth is slightly bad luck for, for St. Croix and Minneapolis City that they happen to be in the conference that has some of the best teams in the, in the country um, and the best game in the, team in the country. Um, but, you know, those are lessons that are going to have to be learned from. Uh, and so again, I'm really interested to see what the offseason looks like for City. Uh, I, I think that they have the potential to come back much stronger next season, uh, but clearly just hasn't uh, translated into much this season. You know, I'm very interested to see from Peoria specifically how they fare in the national playoffs. Because they're playing Des Moines very close in those particular matches, and Minneapolis is playing Peoria close in those matches. So um, right. I think once we see a team like Peoria specifically, how they fare on the national stage, we'll even get a much better measuring stick on how Minneapolis City would fare on the national stage had they been in another division, right? And that's mm. all hypothetical, but it'll be interesting to sort of get that overall national barometer for Minneapolis City relative to the the division they play in. But um, when talking about kind of this season as a whole, um, after the dust settles uh, from this USL League Two season, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely get Matt Ben Benskoten back on the show uh, to talk about kind of his his vantage point of that 2022 season. Um, you know, maybe maybe some wins that he was able to take away from it 
um, and then kind of what their what their plan is moving forward and what they plan to adjust moving forward heading into 2023. Um, but on the on the other side, Saint Croix has gotten a couple wins under their belt, a few results. Uh, unfortunately, did not do so last week in their sort of Canadian or I know they were hosting uh, Thunder Bay and Manitoba. It was a no, that was on the road. That was their Canadian trip, if you will. Uh, three to one loss to Thunder Bay, four to two loss to Manitoba. Um, and then uh, they will play Thunder Bay again, this time back at home in Stillwater on July 5th. So Thunder Bay is sort of doing the Twin Cities tour now um, as they will play uh, Stillwater, or they'll, they'll play in Stillwater against St. Croix on the 5th and then Minneapolis City on the 6th. So a little back to back for them. But when you have that much of a, of a trip to make, um, it makes sense that you would try to get them both done uh, in that one trip. But um, St. Croix been pretty respectable uh, in this first USL League Two season. Obviously, weren't able to get it done this past week. Um, we've talked about them quite a bit. Carter Hoffer has done an excellent job covering the team for SodaSoccer.com, um, and so we'll see if they can, if they, along with Minneapolis City, can finish off the USL League Two season on a high note. Um, Telvin Voss specifically has been an individual who has really stood out for St. Croix. And when you're talking about potential division, um, you know, all 11, all, all division teams, um, he's somebody I fully expect to be on that, on that nominee list. Uh, but with that being said, let's move over to the USLW league as Minnesota Aurora have been getting all the wins, um, two wins on the week or two more matches, two more wins on the week for Minnesota Aurora, their final two home matches. Last Friday was a three to one win against the Dutch Lions in front of a record crowd of 6,016 fans at TCO Stadium. Mariah Wynn got the scoring started early in the ninth minute, heading in a goal off a really nice feed from Kenzie Langdock. Dutch Lions would equalize before halftime, but in the second half, Cat Rapp and Ariana Del Moral would score to secure the win. And then they followed that up against uh, 5,900 plus fans at TCO uh, in the home finale of their inaugural USLW league season. It was a four to one win for Aurora over St. Louis, um, extending their win streak to eight games, a pair of PKs, one from Morgan Turner and another from Morgan stone, but the home side up two nil in the first 20 minutes. Win once again would answer a St. Louis goal with one of her own just before halftime and stone would get her second goal on the day in the second half to put that match to bed. So now Minnesota Aurora remain top of the table. And of course they uh, have a conference title in their hands. They sort of control their own destiny in that regard with three matches left. That next match is at Chicago Dutch Lions tonight at time of recording. So you're going to know the result of that match by the time you listen to this podcast, but we're recording uh, Thursday here before the match starts. And then of course that season finale back-to-back in green Bay next weekend. But Looks like Aurora continuing to click on all cylinders. And as we've continued to mention, you know, more names keep popping up on the stat sheet and in contribution, which is which is really good to see. Um, and obviously being deep and having depth is a key to, you know, winning these matches late in the season, but also competing when you get into uh, playoff time as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, roster building is such a, a unique skill set in this level of the game because of the fact that none of these players are on like actual long-term contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you you see, I put this, you you see the teams that whether NPSL, USLW, the WPSL, UPSL, whatever. You see the teams and the coaches that really thrive in making that system work, and you see the ones that struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you see 
teams that have just top to bottom, incredibly well thought out rosters for this sort of, you know, blitz season that teams at this level have to play, you know, over maybe a couple months. Um, and, and Aurora's, I mean, they've hit the jackpot on that. This is a group that is just clearly incredibly capable of performing, capable of performing at a pace that most would struggle to do, uh, basically avoiding every blip uh, imaginable, uh, you know, to the point where it's it, with this team, it almost feels like when they do concede in the game, it's almost not even a troubling moment. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like, oh, well, I guess we'll just have to score a little more now, um, <laughs> which is going to happen anyways. So, you know, I mean, massive applause, obviously, to, to the folks that put this roster together. From top to bottom, it just is performing at, uh, at well, I was this league is new, so not at a level historic to the league per se, but, you know, a level that is incredibly impressive just in the context of that sort of like high-level high pre-professional soccer um, as yeah. someone that's watched a fair bit of that uh it, it, it's it's truly impressive um you know i i believe in um matthew's matthew johnson's article about uh at least one of these matches he or actually i think it was in the the article he re- recently did about the roster um he mentioned that you know he has heard um of players from other teams wanting to talk to the team about next mm-hmm. year uh, you know, I think that the way this organization is coming together is one that's going to be tempting anybody interested in playing in this league. Um, and as strong as this roster is, the, what they've shown this year is probably going to only help them make it stronger next year, which is all the more uh, scary for the unfortunate teams that end up in their conference. But um, yeah, again, just a truly impressive run that they're putting together. Obviously, there's a, li- there's a little bit left to play in this regular season, but they, they certainly look favorites to, to finish top and, and represent uh minnesota and the upper midwest and in, in, in the playoffs to come and if that goes as expected i really really wouldn't want to uh play them uh in those playoffs i i i think they would be the the team to be scared of most so um yeah true truly impressed yeah and there was a lot of hype to live up to before yeah. the season started and they have they have certainly done that uh but it's not over yet because green bay uh, you know, Minnesota, you'd say Minnesota Aurora were lion tamers on the week, beating uh, the St. Louis Lions and the Chicago Dutch Lions. Well, um, it was Green Bay doing the same as they blank St. Louis 3-0 and uh, beat Dutch Lions 2-0, both matches on the road. Uh, and now with those two wins, Green Bay is keeping close behind Aurora. That magic sort of number for Green Bay to have a chance heading into that season finale back-to-back in Green Bay with Aurora is to stay within five points. Well, there are five points off of Aurora right now with three matches remaining. We mentioned that Aurora has Dutch Lions Thursday evening um, on the road. Green Bay also going to Chicago on Saturday where they will play Chicago City. Now, if one of those teams drop drops points, let's say something happens where Aurora does drop points to Dutch Lions and Green Bay holds serve against Chicago, that makes things a lot more interesting heading into that season finale. But... If Green Bay ends up being the one to drop points and Aurora gets the job done, then the uh, then the, the conference title is is locked up at that point. So um, either way, it's an entertaining end to what has been a very, very entertaining inaugural season in the USLW League, at least from our vantage point here in the Heartland Division. Uh, moving over to the UPSL now, 
And we have a UPSL Midwest West Division champion for 2022. It is Minneapolis City Futures. They beat Vlora on penalties 5-3 after nil-nil draw over 120 minutes. Uh, goalkeeper Evan Siefkin, the hero on the day, both um, in regulation and in the uh, penalty kick shootout as well. Um, both teams and the entire conference schedule unbeaten in regulation play. Um, so almost nothing between these two teams. So City now move on to the national playoffs and they will play Chicago Nation, who originally beat Milwaukee Bavarians in the conference final. So that's no easy task in the round of 32. Um, and the UPSL website has it scheduled for July 2nd, but no time or venue has been made public. So we will see. Um, but from my vantage point here, um, obviously great for Minneapolis City. And we'll get into what that means for that whole program in a second. But it just seems so wrong that this is where Valora's season ends. And they don't really have a chance to compete in that national playoffs, considering they didn't lose a single match in regulation. Right. Yeah, uh, and, and I mean, obviously very, de- very deserved by by uh, the futures by Minneapolis City, but you know they had to do two penalty shootouts to get to this point, and Valora only even got to that point in this very last game, the mm-hmm. only game they even had to worry about post regulation time. You know, it, it's tough, but of course that's the that's the uh, uh, that's twisted knockout football. Yeah, that's the t- twisted beauty of playoffs and and knockout tournaments and all that is is that. It doesn't matter. You got to do it now. You got to do it tonight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they just weren't quite able to put it together. Yeah, a huge shout-out to, uh, to Evan Siefkin, uh, who, well, to be perfectly frank, in a game where no one scored, was probably the most impressive player on the, <laughs> on, the on the pitch. The, no, no offense to the other players. No offense to anybody else, but none of you really did the thing you're supposed to do. So it, it's, mostly, <laughs> yeah. it's mostly him. Uh, but he, you know, obviously in the penalty shootout, he stepped up, um, but he also in, in open play had some really cool, good saves. He had a sort of a foot save on a, a Pablo Campos shot towards the end that uh, very much helped make sure the city stayed in it. Um, and, and just a, a really consummate performance from a young goalkeeper that I'm sure the, the city system are looking forward to having around. Um, and yeah, great, great result for this really young group. I mean, a lot of these guys aren't even, some of these guys aren't even adults yet. <laughs> um, and and they did incredibly well in a league that is full of guys that are adults. And that that bridge from great young athlete to good adult athlete is always a very difficult one to cross. It's where a lot of guys fall off. Uh, so the fact that they were able to do it is is all the more impressive given the, their age. Um, and just a really solid group of, of talented young young soccer players, some of which have already uh, essentially been promoted to the the NPSL and USL League Two is now that that the uh, UPSL season is is largely done. Um, uh, you know, it, like you said, a little unfortunate that that both teams can't sort of somehow uh, move up that next level, kind of in the same way. How it's too bad that only only Aurora or Green Bay will be in the playoffs. They can't have both, you know. But that's that's the way it works. Uh, and and so for City, it's it's back to back titles in the UPSL to great way to sort of put a silver lining on what's obviously been a tough year in other competitions. Uh, and, you know, basically this whole roster of guys, particularly the starters from this, this futures uh, lineup. Uh, I'm very curious to see what their playing situation is come uh, 2023. I'm very curious to see who of these guys um, get into the NPSL or USL league two uh, for Minneapolis city, you know, for what it's worth. Um, 
we, we've seen this season, a couple guys from the Futures program actually play for other teams in the MPSL. For instance, Duluth starting um, uh, left back. Uh, or, gosh, do I have that right? Oh, sorry, no, right back. Starting right back, Jesse uh, Juarez is a Minneapolis City Futures product. Um, so, you know, if any of these guys aren't given those opportunities with City at the, those higher levels, very curious if they perhaps find them somewhere else. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's great, it's great for them. And it's really promising again for a really young group, uh, who I'm sure we'll be talking about in various capacities for, for years to come. And uh, it's a big win, by the way, for, uh, for a Mutu watch, uh, the the social media frenzy, uh, because the man, the man now has silverware on his neck. So shout out to him. We'll get right back into the episode in just a minute, but I want to talk to you about our friends over at Pence Homes. If you're on Minnesota United Twitter, you probably know who Nate Pence is. He's a diehard Loon supporter, but he's also a supporter of Minnesota soccer as a whole, just like us here at Soda Soccer. See, Nate and his team are realtors specializing in the St. Paul and Minneapolis area, and he proudly supports various teams and organizations in the Twin Cities soccer community, like Minneapolis City, our friends over at Equal Time Soccer, and now SodaSoccer.com and 10,000 pitches. Not only is Nate ingrained in the local soccer ecosystem here, he's also helped countless people in and around the metro buy and sell their homes and has made them very happy as a result. But don't take our word for it. Just listen to what Kate W. had to say. She said, quote, Nate was excellent to work with. He's down to earth, approachable, not pushy. We developed a great rapport with Nate and have already recommended him to friends. So just head to pencehomes.com to get the process started or email Nate directly at nate at pencehomes.com. That's P-E-N-T-Z homes.com. Also, make sure you let him know Jeremy from Soda Soccer sent you. Again, that's pencehomes.com, P-E-N-T-Z homes.com. Um, Two things uh, for Minneapolis City. One, you, you hit the nail on the head. This is this is if you if you're just a Minneapolis City supporter in general, or you're in the Minneapolis City organization, you kind of look at the struggles that have happened in USL League Two. You're very mid table in NPSL. This is sort of, sort of where you're hanging your optimism on that that these guys are developing in the futures program can grow into players who will make huge contributions. Um, you know, not only overall in their soccer careers because that's what they want to do. They want to build professional soccer players through this program, but they also want to build guys who will contribute at their senior levels too, right? Right. Um, and um, so that's something that that's hugely optimistic. But two interesting stats on this: one. Minneapolis City has still never lost a UPSL Midwest Conference West Division match through two seasons. Minneapolis City, too, went undefeated through the regular season and division tournament last year. Um, And then Minneapolis City Futures did the exact same thing this year. So very impressive in their first two seasons in the conference. Two different iterations of their team have gone undefeated through that schedule. Two, the Minneapolis City Futures program has never lost an outside competition in two seasons as well. Um, this is their first season in really an organized league, but last year they were playing friendlies against, you know, a, a Division II college in St. Cloud State. They were playing other local lower league teams in friendlies as well. You're talking about 16 to 20-year-olds here in this Futures program, yeah. um, and they know nothing but victory against outside competition. Uh, very, very, I have to imagine just a dream start to this futures program for Minneapolis city. Uh, probably, you know, when, when they talk about what those results would be, this was probably at their, you know, pie in the sky level of what would happen 
and they're seeing it come to fruition. Absolutely. And, you know, one of those uh, friendlies that I, I believe was in 2021 that, that really caught headlines was that their futures group, which which uh, in this game, I believe just was the futures guys. There's no senior guys helping out uh, beat Minnesota United's um, okay. e equal age range uh, academy team. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a really strong program that's producing really good players. Uh, and, and if there's anything that Minneapolis City don't have to worry about, given how this year's gone, it's that they will, you know, continue to have tons of, of young talent to, to build off of. Whether or not that translates into better seasons, you know, in a league level above the UPSL is something they'll have to figure out. But um, they, they, they certainly should not be worried about whether or not they'll continue to have one of the better, you know, youth to adult ladders in, in the region. Uh, for this sort of version of the game, they all, they they seem quite cemented in that. So, um, yeah, in, incredibly impressive. Some of that obviously is stuff that that is not tr does not translate directly to what's happening on the pitch in certain leagues, but it, it's something to be hugely proud of. Absolutely. Um, so again, um, the UPSL website says that this weekend, this Saturday, is going to be that uh, round of thirty-two match, but we still don't have a time or a venue for it. So. Um, keep it tuned in to Minneapolis City's socials at MPLS City SC or at MPLS City Futures um, on Twitter. I'm sure they'll have all the information as soon as they have it. But moving to the NPSL now, man, what an up and down week for Duluth. <laughs> uh, yeah. Talk about peaks and valleys here. Um, we hyped this match up big time on last week's show. Duluth Med City at the top of the NPSL table, their first clash of the season, and it lived up to it. Duluth does get the two to one win. They take sole possession of uh, first place at the top of the table, but only for a matter of days as midweek Dakota fusion, get a big three to one home victory over the blue greens. So that drops Duluth back down below med city in second place. Now um, fusion move up to fourth in the table. Um, just we'll get to some of the other results in just a second, Don. But just looking at these uh, these Duluth results, this really shows that this is really a, a wild card of a year. As as dominant as the top two teams have been, you really you can't count any team out in any match in the NPSL North. It's been very fun to watch. Absolutely, and both yeah, both these games were were really entertaining uh, matches, really high energy matches that. Med City Duluth match. Uh, as someone that had high expectations for it, it lived up to those for me. Uh, it was, the, the first half was zero zero, but God, were both sides trying to not make it that way, and uh, really just good defending and some poor chance taking that that left it at that. Uh, second half, Andres Garcia gets a goal. Guy you expect to step up for for Med City, really nice to open the scoring, and then uh, Sam Thornton as a substitute comes on, scores from open play and scores a penalty and. Gosh, I think it was like the 86th minute, 85th minute uh, to decide it. Uh, just a really wild matchup. Uh, you know, the, and then obviously Duluth followed it up with that loss to the Dakota Fusion in, in Moorhead. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the comforting thing for Duluth is that they won the game they needed to win. Yep. Right. And they so, solidified a playoff spot. Right. Which if you, you if know. you yes, they solidify a playoff spot. Yes. If you switch and, those results, things are much worse for Duluth. Yeah. Right. 
So, you know, it, they, in that sense, it's comforting, but obviously they missed out on a chance to go mathematically top of the table uh, and to put themselves in a position where basically all they have to do is just win a couple of games and it's done. Yeah. Uh, not quite as simple anymore. Uh, for the Fusion, huge credit to, to that group. Sam winning head coach, first year uh, head coaching that program, that team. Great performance. They continue to, to impress. They had a really tough start to the year. Uh, but once they found their feet with uh, that, that road win against Minneapolis City, they've just been stronger every week pretty much since. Uh, they were really high energy. Really, the, the press on the Duluth defense was fantastic. Uh, I mean, to a degree that it, it was better than any other team, really, I've seen play them this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they just, they went after it. You know, Duluth had one of its probably poorest performances of the season. I don't know if I've quite seen them handle pressure as badly as they did in this game, but it's also the Fusion's mm-hmm. credit for being the ones to find uh, find the key to that lock. Uh, and like you said, yeah, this this keeps playoffs are now secure with Med State and Duluth, but this this opens up uh, the title questions again uh, with, I mean, a million different possibilities based on how the next three matches go for both teams. And we, we can talk about the playoffs all we want, but but both these teams have to really want this this conference championship. For sure. Like my goodness, like th- this is this is the opportunity, right? right. Minneapolis City's down. Your head and shoulders above everybody else at the top of the table. Like like this is your chance. And both these teams are incredible teams and may make great run in the runs in the playoffs. But if that doesn't come with an NPSL North Conference title silverware from the conference, there's going to feel like there's some unfinished business. I believe left on the board for either of these teams, no matter how far they go in the actual national playoffs. So, um, yeah, Duluth leaves the door open. Um, now, Med City controls their own destiny because there are no more games in hand for anybody now. Each team has three matches left, and it's Med City that has a one-point cushion at the top of the table against Duluth. Now, again, these two teams will play each other again, I believe, in the regular season finale. So that could very well be a conference champion. I'm sorry, go ahead. They'll play each other in the second to last match. Second to last match. Well, yeah. either way, that will probably be uh, yeah. a, a conference championship almost in and of itself. So that will be exciting. But yeah, the, the door is left open now. And uh, it's it's very much up for grabs in the NPSL North at the top. But moving a little bit down, big week for Minneapolis City on the NPSL side. Back to back wins against Joy and Sioux Falls. So they're up to third in the table. Sioux Falls beat Twin Stars, moved up to sixth place. And then Eris beats Sioux Falls to move to seventh. So musical wins on the season, it's or on the week, it seems, for some of these clubs. Uh, but another big win for Eris as well, beating Sioux Falls. Um, and then um, so, so they have sort of climbed out of the basement. Um, Sioux Falls in sixth, Twin Stars there in fifth, uh, Dakota in fourth, Minneapolis City in third. But again, those two playoff spots secure for Duluth and Med City. It just all comes down to who is going to take home that conference championship. And of course that will be determined over these last three matches over the next two weeks before we get to the national playoffs. Uh, Again, no matches this weekend Uh, back at it, July 6th uh, midweek next week for the NPSL North Uh, WPSL action. Sioux Falls city beat Dakota fusion in the first chapter of their new Dakota Derby rivalry. But then they followed that up with losses to Maple Brook and Thunder. So we were wondering which one of these WPSL teams at the top were going to blink. Sioux Falls have blinked, and uh, Salvo remain unbeaten. They do not blink. 
are, and they stay right behind Minnesota Thunder in that title race. Maplebrook and Sioux Falls now step behind the top two, but there is a points gap there. And this WPSL season, we, we thought the W League season was short. We think some of these lower league seasons are short. Are short. WPSL goes like that. Um, so to be in the uh, in the lead group, so to speak, uh, there was Salvo and Minnesota Thunder. Um, they've done the job to do that, and it shows one loss or, or one bad week can completely drop you out of the picture as Sioux Falls have kind of done. Yeah, you know, it, it's tough. Obviously, those are, are difficult teams to get results against, and, and, and Sioux Falls just weren't quite able to, to figure that one out. Uh, you know, so it leaves the Thunder up top. Salvo are in second, but Salvo do have uh, one or two games in hand. I think it might be just one um, that, that gives them some room there. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's turned out to be a, still a very competitive season, which is good. You know, uh, the wins that that's Thunder and Salvo are getting against the lights of the Mankatos, the Sioux Falls, the Brooks are, are, are tight wins. Um, but uh, but certainly looks like the Thunder and Salvo are sort of the expected competitors that we have left. Um, but, you know, I'm, for, for Sioux Falls, I think this season, particularly being their first season, I think they've already kind of won the the, the moral battle in the sense of uh, they, they've found this great fan base. They found, you know, this, this brand, so to say that that's matured very well, been received very well, creating the, the groundwork for a long-term team. Uh, they're being competitive right away. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it remains a very promising 2022 for them. Uh, but yeah, it'll be really interesting to see who of, of the Thunder and Salvo, of course, very historyed, academy organizations in, in the state of Minnesota, uh, who is able to top the other uh, in, in the handful of matches that we have left. Like you said, it's funny, you know, I keep track of these games, but I still, when we prepare for this, you know, you look, go back through to make sure you didn't miss anything. And I realized that I didn't really, I didn't know about half the games that were happening because they yeah. play so much <laughs> every yeah. week. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of mind boggling. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, again, really interested to see who of, of the Thunder and Salvo are, are sort of able to put those final pieces together as, as the season uh, sort of enters that, that third chapter. But, uh, yeah, you know, great effort from Sioux Falls in their first year. Looks like they probably aren't going to be competing for that, that top spot. Uh, but, again, I, I think they've won a lot of battles off the pitch that are going to make them or leave them very encouraged for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And continue to, to build – soccer's presence in that community on both the men's and women's sides um we're gonna wrap things up with the news like we always do in wapassel and man what a run lobos are on they were sort of uh not really picked to to do much in the preseason polls but a bit of a resurgence for lobos this season five straight wins as they beat union eau claire formerly top of the table union eau claire uh, and poskin jets um, and so now Lobos are top of the table, one point ahead of Bateau, who won the latest version of the Connect Four Derby 2-1 to one over Hayward. So a few of the storylines there, Lobos surging to the top, Bateau sort of doing what they need to do to stay to stay in the hunt. Union Eau Claire now have blinked twice, and Hayward have sort of uh, started to drop out of that picture as well. Just a few weeks ago, it was Union Eau Claire and Hayward at the top with Lobos and Bateau chasing. Now it's the complete opposite. Yeah, you know, this is sort of the beauty of, of, of this level of soccer is that there's just this utter unpredictability about it. Uh, and it exists to a certain degree in some of the, the higher level amateur leagues that we talked about, but but not quite as much as, as this sort of Wapasso level. 
well, you know, as as folks probably know, I, I I expected Hayward to probably run away with with this season. That clearly has not happened. Um, and, and the teams that we thought would have the best chance of sort of catching up with them aren't quite doing it either. It's it's sort of this wild um, year so far. And Lobos have sort of snuck up, uh, lived up to perhaps past expectations, not quite what was expected this year. And uh, they're in the driver's seat now after all the hype about Bateau and Union and Hayward. Uh, so, I mean, credit to them. They have to keep doing what they've been doing and, and they can perhaps uh, uh, get that title. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see teams that started so well, your Haywards, your Unions, uh, just maybe losing a little momentum, mm-hmm. uh, not quite being able to keep up uh, as the season progresses, which is too bad for them. But uh, But again... Really cool for Lobos to kind of sneak up and jump into this title race. Um, Bateau now in a position to at least potentially um, fight for that uh, again, as they often do. Uh, but uh, great to see Lobos be, you know, that team that isn't Bateau that steps up and says, hey, this is going to be our year. So we'll see We'll see what they can do the rest of the season. And shout out to Poskin Jets. Another win, 2-1 to one over Spartan. Um, this is a team that, you know, along with Spartan, were sort of bottom feeders of Wapasa last year. We saw some moments where you could see some potential things to build off of, and they have built off them this year. Wins over Barron and Spartan now, so they have sort of moved out of the basement into that mid-table positioning into Wapassel, um, where, you know, you saw Union Eau Claire first season, obviously built a strong roster, um, you know, right at the top right away. Poskins have sort of had to be a little bit patient in that regard but it's good to see some of that patience sort of paying off as they're building some momentum absolutely and you know unfortunately they're probably not in a position to uh challenge for the title but really cool to see that that team that community have the chance to have some success get some wins together uh i'm sure very reassuring for the players to know that they have that in them this season and uh, you know i even saw i think the power rankings the WPSL uh, power rankings came out today. I think Poston's are actually above Hayward because of form, uh, which is, uh, I'm sure, something that that Poston's enjoyed and maybe Hayward less so. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're having a great stretch this season. And then that's what you like to see. You like to see at this level, every team be able to compete. Uh, and and Poston's is certainly living up to that. All right. So now we transition into our segment that we always do to round out the show. Top four so this is where we take sort of the top four kind of weird quirky or just kind of outside the minnesota bubble um soccer slash news stories and discuss them um and dom i will kick things off if you don't mind this is sort of the biggest story in american soccer this week gareth bale has signed with lafc out of nowhere the big the weirdest part to me is this isn't even a designated player deal dom this is a this is somehow a TAM contract. I, yeah. I I don't know how, what kind of voodoo magic LAFC's front office is able to pull to make this happen. Um, maybe we'll see some uh, Inter-Miami-esque <laughs> come out in a, a couple years down the line about paying under the table. But Gareth Bale, not, not a, you know, not a retiree uh, age European player by any means, yeah. still very much in his prime, leading Wales into the World Cup this fall. Um, he is coming to MLS for the at least the remainder of the season. Um, definitely something that's going to you know help continue to raise the profile of the league and 
Um, obviously, the league standing in, in the worldwide soccer sphere, if you will. Very intriguing and, and, and cool little development, but also when you talk about what this does for uh, the Western Conference and LAFC's title hopes, it's a huge boost to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think it's the kind of move that uh, will probably benefit both parties a lot. You know, I, there was a lot of talk in the soccer world about what Gareth Bale would do in the lead up to the World Cup, which, of course, he helped Wales qualify for. Um, you know, he spent the last year or two kind of playing for Real Madrid. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, so, you know, the, there was questions about, you know, uh, you know I, I know there was floated around the idea that he might go to um, Swansea or, or Cardiff City, the Welsh teams in, in the upper levels of English football and, and maybe do a short term contract there or like summer training with them. But that wasn't, you know, clear because obviously those teams have very clear, like, promotion hopes that they probably wouldn't want to spend a lot of money on a guy who's barely going to play uh, mm-hmm. given how late their seasons start. So this makes sense. MLS play in the summer. It matches well with the time he wants to be preparing and playing. I'm sure that LAFC, you know, discussed with him, you know, that they will keep his health in mind, that they won't get in the way of him leaving for the world cup and so on. And that, you know, there'll there'll be a, a, a mutual positive energy between them. I'm sure there's lots of golf courses in California he will enjoy. Apparently he's an avid <laughs> golfer. But uh, yeah, you know, I think it's going to help both sides. LAFC already a really strong team, and obviously that uh, doesn't hurt to have one of the better players in the in the world uh, join up. So yeah, really cool for LAFC. Less less interesting for that uh, one Italian defender they signed. But uh, my my first uh, my first. Top four story is uh, just it's a, a brief update on uh, Kapa Two, who I wrote an article for Soda Soccer about relatively early on when the site started, um, and that was about uh, him playing in uh, Thai League Three, uh, being uh, from Minnesota, former uh, Valora player, former uh, UW Parkside alum, and he was playing for Chanthaburi in in Thailand last season. He's returned to Thailand after uh, an off-season in, in Minnesota. He's returned to Thailand to go about, you know, the trial system and so on to, to figure out his new team. Uh, that contract at, at Chanthaburi was just a, a one-season deal. Um, and uh, you know, I've talked to him a little bit about that, and, and he's going through that process again, hoping to get to a, a higher level uh, this season. And uh, just, uh, you know, great to see him back out there. Hopefully he is able to get to a, a higher level team uh, and, you know, continue to be this, this cool story of a, a Minnesotan of, uh, in his case of, of Karen heritage, who is representing Minnesota at a, at the international stage uh, playing across the planet uh, in Thailand. So shout out to him uh, when he does eventually uh, sign for a team. We'll, we'll definitely make sure to, to note that to the public, but uh, exciting to see him back out there. Yeah, it's it's cool to see his name keep popping up, and obviously um, the article you did on him was was brilliant back in uh, February, and he's continuing to sort of live up live up to that billing and um, you know make a name for himself uh, in, in that sort of war- area of the football world, which is really cool. Um, my second story of uh, of our top four, so we each get two. So my second and final one. Um, this is kind of interesting. So obviously the Utah Royals uh, just a few years ago had to, uh, due to some some controversies surrounding ownership and the team, uh, you know, ended up moving the team to Kansas City. Um, 
But under new ownership, obviously, now the Utah Royals are set to return to the NWSL in 2024. Um, That fan base obviously was pretty gutted uh, when the Royals had to leave for Kansas City. Uh, But now they get that team back. It will, um, for from what we know now early on, you know, branding will will remain the same. The Utah Royals, um, it will also be, you know, uh, kind of shared again, shared ownership with RSL as well. Um, so, but obviously a fan base that, that deserves a, a, a club who became accustomed to an NWSL supported that NWSL club very well. Um, it's cool to see that the league has sort of made it a, a priority to get a team back in Utah as soon as possible after all that controversy was over and they were able to get sort of the, the right ownership in place to make that happen. Yeah, for sure. It's really cool. You know, we, we've seen, obviously there's a, that new ownership, like you said, already with RSL and, and that's um, been a, a sort of injection of new life into RSL. It's had a, yep. a really strong season so far this year. So great to see um, that hopefully it's banned to benefit the NWSL and the Utah Royals. Uh, and, you know, they have the, the, their new ownership because their new ownership owns other teams, including Augsburg and uh, the Bundesliga. So it's a setup that benefits uh, uh, RSL quite a bit. And I imagine it'll benefit the Utah Royals quite a bit with potentially interactions with um, other women's leagues. Um, but, uh, but no, yeah, great. I mean, it, it, I, I think sometimes people don't think about um, our real or Salt Lake, rather, Salt Lake City as as a place that is a, a hotbed for soccer. But RSL have an avid fan base, great stadium. Same goes through the Royals, um, albeit on pause right now. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, it would, it would be really great to see uh, all of that return to normal and uh, hopefully plenty of success for them. Uh, my, my final story here is just kind of a little recap of a couple of former loons that had really good uh, weekends or week, midweeks, actually. Uh, uh, Darwin Quintero scored a wild, wild goal that you should go look for on Twitter or YouTube. Uh, for Just the, the most Darwin Quintero goal yes. of all time. Yes. <laughs> truly, truly the most Darwin Quintero goal. I believe that was a, what was that, 2-1 loss to Portland. I think it actually ended up being, but a really wonderful goal. Um, sort of sort of in the breath of, of the chips he used to score for United, particularly against Toronto and that, that hat-trick performance. That's what it kind of reminded me of. Although this was a little more power to it, a little more range mm-hmm. to it. It was a very impressive goal. Uh, so shout to Darwin Quintero. Uh, and then also Mason Toy and Kai Kamara teamed up for, uh, for two goals in, in Montreal's 2-1 win against Seattle, which is a result that actually helps Minnesota United. Um, Mason Toy scored both the goals and Kai Kamara assisted both the goals. So kind of an interesting, um, uh, you know, twist of fate, I guess, uh, for, for Mason Toy, who, who of course is kind of coming back from injury recently, uh, to get a, probably his best performance so far since returning from injury, get two goals and have them be assisted, mm-hmm. both be assisted by the guy he kind of got traded for, um, <laughs> So uh, it's kind yeah. of a weird one. Uh, you know, the site, the circles of, on that one are a little weird, but um, but cool for both of them. Obviously, uh, cr- crazy by the way that in the background, Kai Kamara is still just doing his thing in MLS, and that he's getting those goals, getting those assists. He's still such a, a useful player for our Montreal, who are doing quite well actually this season so far. So a huge, huge credit to him as well. But uh, but yeah, shout out to uh, to the former Loons out there. Uh, Eric Miller almost got to the semifinals of the Open Cup, but Nashville lost, unfortunately, yep. to Orlando. Also. So shout out to Eric Miller for 
for the effort there. But uh, but yeah, good midweek for for a couple of former goons. Absolutely. That is where we will end this week's episode of 10,000 Pitches. Thank you for listening, interacting, uh, supporting us as well. Um, if you want to keep supporting us and get some bonus content while you're at it, head over right now to patreon.com slash soda soccer. That's where you will find 10K stoppage time. Dominic Jose Bazonio and I going in depth on Adrian Anu's move to uh, Angers SCO in League One and what that means for the upcoming transfer window and Minnesota United's activity within it. Uh, so check that out. And then as far as 10K goes, we'll be back next Friday with another new episode. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you.